Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everybody and welcome to episode six of the Divers of Cheats podcast. My name is Carter Kushire. We're going to talk promotion and relegation in the United States system today, United States and Canadian system, North American system. Ted Westervelt, SoccerReform.us. I think he's well known to just about everybody in the soccer community in the United States, whether you love him or hate him. He's our guest. And Ted, uh, thank you for joining us tonight. I want to. Um, get right to this you advertise yourself as soccer reform and um there's so many things going on in the game in this country now with solidarity payments with us uh, it appears in the last hour and a half losing the copa america centenario i think largely because of ussf negligence and lack of oversight and uh, any number of other issues around youth development and uh and just problems in this game. Why is it that you fixated on promotion and relegation as the um, be-all and end-all to reform the game in this country? And might all these problems just be about somebody at the at, asleep at the switch at U.S. Soccer? I mean, couldn't you relate them that way? I mean, there, there. You're right. There are so many problems. What's going on at U.S. Soccer? Why can't they seem to keep a lid on it? Maybe it's because we have a volunteer president. Maybe we should have a full-time, fully-paid president. I mean, you know, you talk about the promotion relegation issues. I think a lot of it relates to uh, what's going on at the Federation, what's happening with the Federation in terms of, you know, is it is it an independent body? Does it exist uh, independently of MLS? Does it exist independently of the other things? Or, or is it somehow reversed in this country? And I think a lot of those issues speak to it. Now, I concentrate on promotion relegation just because it's, uh, it's an issue I'm very passionate about and, uh, and I want to follow up and I, and I, and I really see a great day coming when it, when it arrives. And I see, I see promotion relegation is having an impact on a lot of these problems and, uh, you know, not to take anything away from, from the solidarity payments and not to take anything away from the bad marketing choices and, and everything else. But I do think it's all related to, um, a, a federation that, that sometimes can't seem to find its own way or, or, or get out of its own way, depending on how you want to talk about it. Right. But- they can't get out of their own way. I'm in complete agreement with you on that. But isn't it more important right now that we start following FIFA uh, guidelines as far as youth development and solidarity payments to uh, clubs? The epicenter of this FIFA scandal 
this uh, thing that has engulfed world football and actually uh, just world society that everybody's talking about. So much of it happened on American soil with the USSF asleep at the wheel. Now, I know you went to the Senate hearing uh, that Senators Moran and, and Blumenthal held back in July. But mm-hmm. why isn't that the, the center of your emphasis? I mean, well, I mean, you want to connect to all the things it's it's following FIFA guidelines is there's there's any a number of FIFA guidelines that we're not following. And promotion relegation is one of them. And the solidary payments are another one. And and maybe that's your common thread as well. You want to I mean, we need to we, we need to be up on all this stuff now. My specific interest is promotion relegation. And I think um, some of the development guys and some of the people that are being affected by solidarity payments agree with me 100 percent that 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 has a tie in with with uh, the solidarity. Period. All of this stuff is tied together. And, and, and when we get all this stuff straight, the rest of it sort of falls into place. I mean, maybe maybe you can't do one without the other. Maybe this is a uh, cohesive package. Maybe it's 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 when you take one piece out, it's like Jenga. The rest of it falls apart. And, and promotion relegation is a big piece of this. So let's look at promotion relegation. You you have to be realistic about this. The lower divisions in this country aren't ready necessarily for a full-blown promotion relegation scheme. I know you've outlined a, a long-term plan. Why don't you walk us through that? Uh, my plan is, is a transitional plan that that uh, takes anywhere from, uh, I think, six to ten years, depending on who participates and who doesn't. I split the, the United States into two separate pyramids to address some of the market and the, the size, the market size concerns and, and for some people, travel concerns. Um um, but, you know, I think where we disagree is on the look, the current policy and the current setup. I don't think anybody argues that that strangles um, lower divisions of interest and and investment. And, you know, I think judging just by the uh, the the difference between EPL values and championship values, uh, I think NASL clubs stand to gain 500, 600 percent in value just by opening the system with which they can do things like get ready for uh, promotion relegation. So, I mean, once you have that value, uh, you know, I, I'm not a banker, but you can spin that into all kinds of things. If your property is worth X, then you can mortgage X and Y to get whatever you need to do you know, to, 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 to pursue your goals. So uh, I think it's a really promotion relegation makes uh, lower division clubs ready for promotion relegation. Right, but what about the lower division club? I'm a Fort Lauderdale Strikers fan, and I've been a Fort Lauderdale Strikers fan since I was a little kid in four different leagues, four different iterations, six different ownership groups. <laughs> um, what happens if we get relegated and we're in the NPSL, we're in an amateur league where there's about 10 other teams in this area, we're just another team in this area? Well, aren't you going down to USL? Aren't they Division Three? Well, right, I mean, yeah, well, that's right. But what if you get relegated <laughs> twice? Well, if you got relegated twice. Well, I think for the four Lauderdale strikers to get relegated twice would take some some very interesting management choices. I mean, <laughs> as lower division clubs go, four Lauderdale strikers are blessed with all kinds of things. A, a nice stadium compare in comparison, a, uh, uh, you know, a history, a legacy. Uh, you got uh, strikers got everything. Go. I, I turn around and say the strikers are much more an example of, 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 of what's being strangled and what's being hurt than not. But so yeah, you could go down two divisions. Sure. It is an open system, but very few clubs out there in the lower divisions are more better place for this transition than the strikers. What is your thought process about, the number of middle-sized markets that don't have professional teams or even high-level amateur teams right now? Because 
here's a critique I have of the NASL, and maybe, and maybe we'll get into this, Ted. It's about this uh, need to chase Division One sanctioning. The NASL has opted to place its teams in bigger markets and to pursue expansion in bigger markets. Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, they obviously have a team in New York. They have a team in the Tampa Bay area, Atlanta, Fort Lauderdale. These are all um, uh, three, three million plus metro areas, mm-hmm. huge media markets. Now, what happens if you end up putting in a promotion relegation scheme? You, you peg the, the NASL as second division. With a lot of their current clubs, you're just adding more big markets to big markets. When do the small market teams get a chance? When does Omaha get a chance? Um, I, I think part of what you're seeing is is the NASL drive to to be Division One and, right. and to sort of chase that Division One ring as a league and not as individual clubs. So but that doesn't necessarily um, help pro rel if they're putting. Well, right, because it's not we don't have a promotion relegation system now, and that's thwarting us. (laughs) That's thwarting our move to pro rel in any number of ways. And I think this is one of them because NASL wants to compete with 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 MLS for D1. And to do that, they got to get into the big markets. So instead of what we would normally see in a lower division, which would be exploring those 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 smaller markets and getting into those smaller markets NASL is shooting for the big markets. I I can't you know, after hearing Eric uh, Stover speak about it, I can't. Or still over the cosmos speak about it. I, I, you, you can't you can't go against what they're doing. You, you understand what they're doing, given if in given the fact that they're trying to chase down D one. In a closed system, you understand what they're doing, but in an open system, the league is putting kind of the league's interest over those individual clubs. The way I look at it. Um, right. Well, the, the, the league, no league is going to decide which clubs go where in an open right. system. I mean, in, at least in my open system, and I throw it wide open. I mean, it'll be the market and the supporters and the fans and the media money and everything else. And, and, and on the field, that's what's going to decide it. What happens on the field? Nobody's going to be making any choices about who is in what division anymore. Right. So what do you think is behind Don Garber's uh, most recent comment this week? And it, the last month, we've had a lot of discussion about this. We've got, obviously, it's been a conversation that's been going on for years in this country. But we had Bill Peterson come out and say he's for pro-rel, wants to force the issue. Then we had the NASL. Well, the NPSL said, yes, we, we'd love to be part of that. The NASL mm-hmm. then released a conflicting statement, basically, which I attribute to some of the team owners who are scared of pro-rel. Uh, I think Commissioner Peterson genuinely wants it. I think some of the team owners – from my experience of having worked in that league, would rather just be D1 and close close their league off too. Um, and then well, it's, you know, it's like it's like heroin. I mean, yeah, you, yeah, right. you, all of a sudden you give NASL D1. Uh, what I really? I mean, they're going to be. I, I don't know that they're all the um, the most um, whatever you want to call them. They're not angels. I would no, say maybe some of them are going to want to hold on right. to it. Yeah, they're not the most charitable, philanthropic soccer people. I mean, these are business guys. You know, people want people always castigate me, say, you don't understand this is business. Oh, you better believe I understand this is business. And if you give a business a chance at an anti-competitive perk like permanent D1 status, boy, I mean, somebody's accountant is going to say, geez, maybe you should hold on to that and not not just do this crazy promotion relegation thing. So so that's the way I look at it. Through the last month, we've had then a situation where um, the NASL has sent out a legal letter and there's talk of pot- potential litigation about D1. Then right. there was this 1988 uh, U.S. soccer uh, 
dictate that you helped uh, bring light to. Now we have some cold water poured on that uh, by uh, by the Philly soccer page. And then we have Don Garber yesterday in Manchester with Soccer X, where I have to say, um, former Soccer X employee who I'm uh, was very friendly with has told me that he's always very entertaining at these Soccer X uh, forums, Garber. That it's all you always <laughs> want to buy tickets and, and popcorn because he says such outrageous things. But um, <laughs> he said yesterday, and it was at least it was probably not the most outrageous thing he said. The most outrageous thing he said was in ten years uh, we hope to be comparable to La Liga. That's just an embarrassing comment. Well, he was all over the map. I mean, right. He said that, and then he said we're generations away from from getting Bundesliga and AP, EPL. I mean, and that well, on top of the we don't have a hundred years of soccer history thing, which that's the most the so craziest thing he said. So he, I mean, he was all over the map. Premier League is that much better than La Liga, which I think most experts are, who follow the European game don't believe it is, and the right. comparable leagues are not. Uh, you can argue about which one's better, but there's no gap between them, no huge gap between them. Uh, but he said yesterday we're not going to have promotion and relegation, which directly contradicts some of the things he said before. Now, at the MLS Cup in 2013, he said we will have, we can have promotion and relegation when we have a strong second division. <laughs> and then now he's saying we can you know, in six months, again, he's going to say, well, yeah, we can have it as long as we control the pyramid. So where do you think Garber really – and the MLS really stands on this. Is it what maybe Garber says something about promotion and relegation and then Kim Wiki gets on the phone with him and says, what are you talking about? Well, I think Garber talks about promotion and relegation until – somebody doesn't want to pay their franchise fee because he's talking about promotion and relegation. <laughs> so, you know, I think he talks about, he, he, you know, he's got it. And look, Garber and Gulati are pretty good jugglers. They can, they've got to please, or they've got to deal with FIFA on one hand. They got to deal with the fans. They got to deal with the owners. Uh, and what you're seeing is, is some of that juggling. I mean, one day it's, it's, we're not ready for promotion relegation. The next day, uh, Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena are suddenly chiming in saying we owe MLS owners no promotion relegation for basically for allowing us to have soccer or, and Bruce was meaner than that because he's Bruce, but you know, it, it, it's a sliding as somebody who's been doing this for a ridiculously long amount of time. It's, it's a ridiculous sliding scale of excuses. Yeah. So taking that in the consideration, do you think that um, if we had a serious change in the leadership of the U S soccer federation, this uh, discussion might change because the way I look at major league soccer, you have some owners. Now you have MLS 1.0 owners, 1.0 owners. You have MLS 2.0 owners. You have owners that have um, really no interest in opening the pyramid up. They like the closed league. They like the self-contained league. They don't even want to compete internationally for players, right? You have a lot of those teams. Oh, think about it this way. You have MLS owners that are invested in the competition and you have MLS owners who are really looking at their MLS team as their core business and they really want to do that. Now, I think that's where you see the split. You got a Merritt Paulson who who really, you know, I believe is a real soccer fan and really wants to see his team succeed and he wants to make it his number one priority. And then you got, you know, whether you're talking about a Sheikh Mansour or a Bob Kraft, you know, an oligarch who's who's just using this as some kind of 
kind of hedge or some kind of marketing tool for his other properties. I think MLS one and point one and point two, point six, point twenty five. Yeah, I think that's where the break occurs, and I think you know it's the guys like Merritt Paulson and Drew Carey that are going to have to stand up. And I mean, if MLS wants to make this transition, those two guys need to stand up and and and, and take it on. So. If there's a change in leadership at the USSF, because I think there's a lot of, um, and I, 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 here's where I, I have a little bit of an ar- uh, argument with your narrative. I don't think the USSF and all of MLS is, nor- is necessarily lockstep the way right. you kind of represent them. I think there's some real tension in MLS to try and pull away from that way of doing business. Now, the USSF is a problem. I'm not going to argue with that you on that, but I think there are some genuinely progressive forces within MLS. They're not necessarily winning the day now, but they. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I'm not. I won't agree. I, I don't disagree with you. That I think there's the ownership groups in Philadelphia, and like I said, Merritt and and Drew Carey and some of these other guys. You know, they want they want this. This is their thing. Yeah. It's not some side thing. This is their thing, and I can't believe that they don't want. You know, to, to, to coin my old phrase that they don't want their club to have the same opportunities as any, as any other club in the world and, 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 and to play in this global market on an equal footing with any club in the world. And God knows up in, up in Cascadia, you know, that's pretty good stuff up there. I mean, you may be able to, somebody smart may be able to come in and turn that into a club that can actually go on to Europe and do something. It's possible. I mean, it's more than possible. They have all the tools. Uh, they have all the tools in their toolbox to do that. Right. And I think that's where some of the other MLS owners are scared because they think maybe we pull the shackles off of this. Seattle's going to win the league every year. They have more support uh, or Portland, right? Um, they have more support. They have real soccer people running the organizations and, they want to compete in a global marketplace. Well, you said it well on Twitter earlier today. You said that the the whole parody thing in MLS is largely a myth anyway. I mean, before 08, what? Only four teams won. And how many yeah. of those teams were Anschutz's team? And how many of Anschutz's team have been in the MLS Cup final? I think it's over half. I think there's more have been more Anschutz teams in the MLS Cup final than there have been MLS Cup finals. Well, <laughs> Last time I did the math, it was pretty close. That they've set up. And a lot of the MLS fanboys buy into this. They've set up single entity to give everybody a chance. But no, not everybody's had a chance. Very no. MLS Cup, when you were still a DC fan, LA versus DC. And that's been a continuing theme um, for, for, for the entire 20 year existence. It's not that LA's had a better organization than everybody else, they only had uh, one and a half down years, basically. You know, when Beckham came, there was a circus around the team. They've essentially been good for 20 years. They've been at the right. top of the heat for 20 years. So right. if single entity is supposed to work the competitive in the competitive manner that the NFL or NBA or these other American sports leagues uh, do, it's failed, right? Because yeah. clearly the Galaxy have had tremendous advantages within this system, correct? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Phil's name's on the trophy, so right. I don't think it's any—I don't think it's any any mystery yeah, at this point. But I mean, and, but hand again, hand it to Anschutz. I mean, obviously, he wants to push the limit here, and Bruce clearly wants to push push the limit. Uh, it's just that you know, I, it sickens me to watch Bruce try to push the limit in terms of give me one more DP. Why not? 
give me the same opportunities as any big coach in the world. I want to see what Bruce can do. Let's give him the tools that any other coach has. And as he sort of had those tools at DC United too, because you know, it's a new league. These players are coming. They're willing to take pay cuts. They want to get on the ground floor. They want to get in with a guy who knows the game. And and Bruce had that Virginia. He had that all the, all the, all a lot of the tools that a real coach has at that point. And he used them pretty well. When the league fundamentally changed, was when that DC team was broken up because of the salary right. cap. And the thought at that point that I had was that this is too good. MLS has now got their super club. They got their club that had just won club to cap, remember? Mm-hmm. In 98, they won the Inter-American Cup. They've got mm-hmm. this club that can compete on the global stage. Yes, it kind of defeats their structure, but look, they've arrived. And what do right. they do? For the, for the benefit of everybody else, they break up that team. And yeah. they haven't had a team as good as that DC team until maybe the Galaxy now. Honestly, maybe. They haven't had a team 15 years as good. In my- uh, the one game I'd watch in MLS right now is 1998 DC United versus the Galaxy of today. I, I, that I would be a fun game to watch. I would love to watch that game. Yeah, I think that DC team could have gone you know, one call to cap a couple more times. They could have competed with European clubs. Mm-hmm. But shackles were put on them. So yeah. that's MLS. But what about the USSF? I mean, do you think the NASL – here's my issue with the NASL. I already mentioned the D1. Uh, they're seeking D1. They're trying to uh, get D1 status by going to the right. big markets. They've right. had some complicity from the USSF to get them D2 uh, and knock USL out of it. Do these leagues themselves – MLS, NASL, USL. Do the leagues themselves have to be eradicated to put a pro-rel system in place? Because it seems like none of the leagues will accept a subservient role to another. I mean, USL has right now the MLS, but I want to remind our listeners who may not know this. USL had an agreement with USL uh, with MLS uh, from 1998 to about 2001, 2002, and then broke the agreement. Yeah. And decided we have the teams in Cascadia. They were still in that league then. Yeah. We're just going to do our thing. And I, that right. might happen again. Look, what needs to happen? The only, the only thing I'm going to accept at this point for sure is that a federation needs to come in and open leagues and, and not demand any league join, not in, not insist, not coerce, just sanction accordingly and let the leagues who want to play outside the system, let the clubs that want to be non-league, let them be non-league, you know, just open the system. And once you do that, history is conclusive. It will never collapse. Well, what about it is the, the most stable system out there, well, but the federation the has to open it and they can't command anybody else to do it. And to answer your question, if MLS and NASL and all these leagues join in, then yeah, that does fundamentally break them up as 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 the powers, as the businesses they are today. But they've invested hundreds of millions in their brand, MLS. They've invested money in improving the referees in this country. They well, look, I think the only way to get the teams out of MLS, and, and you're right, those guys have invested money. They deserve payback. So sell them out of MLS. I mean, how much is that? They're, people are saying the Sounders are worth $400 million. Well, you know, yeah. was somebody going to let's you're going to have to buy them from somebody. And no matter which attorney you listen to, um, MLS owns the trademark. At least MLS owns something. You're going to have to pay MLS for the privilege. Oh, so you're see. They don't own you, Seattle Sounders. Remember, they don't want yeah. that. 
I mean, you're going to have to these for in order these te- for these MLS teams to go into a truly open system. They're going to have to be purchased from MLS. You know, de- and again, depending on which attorney you're talking to, they're going to have to be purchased from that group or somehow. You know what I'm saying? What about the values of teams that are first division teams that are kind of in larger markets when they get relegated and the owner tries to sell them? I'm going to give you two examples from England: uh, Bolton and Wigan, both in Greater Manchester, kind of. Uh, just outside the city. Wigan's a little more rural. Um, mm-hmm. Both Bolton and Wigan have been up for sale now for a couple of years. Neither team has been sold. They were both relegated from the Premier League. Wigan has now been uh, relegated to the to the to League One. Bolton is probably going to get relegated this year. That's part of the reason they sold Tim Ream, uh, U.S. Mm-hmm. International. What is what happens in the U.S. when that happens? Because we don't have. The hundred years of history behind a club, uh, Wigan's not a particularly popular club, but Bolton has got a rich history, so they can maybe ride this out. But what happens? Do we, are we going to have a Darlington situation in the U.S. or Maidstone United or Chester City? These clubs. Well, for every one of those clubs, though, I can name you twenty clubs that have died out doing it our way and are dead and gone yeah. and buried forever. So you know, we can talk about worrying about that, but. You know, one of my favorite stats, it's over 200 D4 clubs have collapsed since since MLS arrived. So, you know, you want to talk about an attrition rate. You want to talk about a bad investment. You want to talk about people losing their shirts. People are losing their shirts in this system. <laughs> you know, that's it's, it's easier to point out than pointing to the Darlingtons or the Airfords or whatever, whatever other t- the clubs you want to point to in England, the three or four clubs or the Portsmouth situation. It, it doesn't compare. I mean, it's it's Armageddon in comparison in the U.S. And now MLS has done some things and U.S. It's we're in a period of more stability now than we were, say, five years ago. But still, the record, you know, that 20 year record is matched all the way through American soccer history and frankly, all the way through Canadian and Australian soccer history, too, where the league stayed closed. The attrition rates are absurd. So if you want to talk about people losing their shirts, talk about the closed system. Right. And the D2 level is. or the Pensacola guy who just walks away from his club. I mean, it's like it's like walking away from your mortgage when it's underwater. That's how bad it is. Right. And I can tell you from my work at the NASL, we had an issue with two clubs our first year when we were uh, playing in this hybrid USSF league. And the Federation helped us out to get those two teams uh, through the season, uh, St. Louis and, and Baltimore, Chris, uh, Chris right. Powell's Baltimore after a palace ran into administration in, in the UK, but right. it became one of these things where um, you saw again, the fail rate at, at the uh, D2 level and mixing businesses. The palace had trouble in the UK. Uh, they went into administration. And then, so they, they cut the uh, Baltimore club adrift and they were out of money. And then St. Louis had a, uh, mixed their WPS team, their women's team with their men's team and mm-hmm. uh, women's league wasn't doing well and all, all of this sort of thing. Well, well look, I mean, I, this may have gotten cut off when we were talking before, but I, judging from the championship team values to um, to the uh, EPL values, I think NASL values in, a, in just open the system wide tomorrow and those values go up. 500, 600, 700 percent for some of those clubs. And for the Cosmos, who knows how much they go up just by opening the system. So I think that has solved so much of the financial riddle for the lower divisions. It's absurd. It's an exception because they've got this massive brand. But let's go back to my team, the Strikers, or maybe let's not not go to the Strikers, the Jacksonville Armada. Let's say they're worth about two or three million now. I think that's a fair estimate. 
Uh, they don't right. have their stadium. They're an expansion team. I think right. the owner probably paid two million for the franchise. Maybe they're up to three million now after what year one. What could they expect in franchise value if we had for a row? Oh my God! I mean, Jacksonville media market. I mean, just you're you're you. It's it's insane. I mean, I'm thinking I'm thinking again, 400 percent, 500 percent right off the top. Okay, so that's just for them, and it's just and that's not a lot. You just do the multiplication. You're just going from two million to ten million. It's right. not like a it's not like they're worth a a mint in comparison to what they are today. But that's still a 500 percent increase, and and there, there's no telling where it could go from there. So I've got to change gears with you here because I'm still a little. Um, not not necessarily seeing your point of view on the Federation. My view is the Federation right now, USSF, is the problem. I don't think MLS owners are the problem you think they are. I don't think MLS – MLS might have – um, well, it's the undue influence that MLS has over the Federation. And so it's hard to sort of there's a gray area there. But I, I yeah, it's I definitely place the responsibility at U.S. At, at U.S. soccer's doorstep. I mean, no doubt about it, but it's the MLS influence. It's the bad. It's the bad thing. OK, focusing on the Federation. They're not right. transparent about anything. Uh, the, the hearing you went to a, on Capitol Hill, Senator Moran's hearing. Uh, right. Neil Gladi didn't come. He sent uh, Dan Flynn and really had kind of hung them out to dry because he didn't <laughs> to say. We've had um, racketeering on American soil. We've had uh, blatant corruption on American soil in, in, involving officials in this game. And so, I've been to a few Senate and House hearings in my time, and that one was a that one was a doozy. Yeah, that I, one was I've a doozy. Been to myself, and yeah, I I wasn't there, but I watched it, and I know you were there in person, and it was a doozy. Um, and the senators were not buying the explanations from Dan Flynn. So I felt kind of bad for him. But my uh, point is, so you have people out there who are saying, well, um, USSF, they had nothing to do with this. They're clean. Now, I've seen nothing, no evidence whatsoever that they uh, were vigilant in uh, adhering to ethical standards and that they may have even blown the whistle if they knew uh, what traffic sports was doing or what CONCACAF was doing or what Chuck Blazer was doing. So as far as I'm concerned, until they answer those questions, they're a problem. So my question to you is, taking my line of thought process here, which is there's going to be another shooter drop. And something's going to happen. I mean, we just lost to Copa, Centenar- uh, Copa America Centenario. Again, I think traffic sports is the major guilty party in that. However, the USSF was a beneficiary of this um, alleged traffic corruption because they were in to host this tournament. Um, mm-hmm. And they didn't do anything to stop the corruption. And I think they probably realized there was something fishy going on and they just said, you're leading me into, you're leading me into Sunil, my, one of my favorite Gulati quotes, which is, uh, which is, which is when you're, you can't take the moral high ground when you're standing in quicksand. He, uh, he said that uh, probably three or four years ago now. uh, And when he, when he asked about when he was going to vote for bladder election before last. So I think I, 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 you know, it's all part of that juggling act and that dance that U.S. soccer has been doing for forever. And, you know, you mentioned that the whole uh, 1988 
mystery release about promotion relegation in U.S. soccer. I mean, who, who's involved at that point in time? Who's who's talking to Fricker at that point in time? It's it's Gulati and Blazer. Those are the guys in the room with him when that all that's going on. And, and you know, obviously there was a much a much nicer media vacuum in 1989 than that. But but if that were to happen today, it would have been insane. But. Anyway, so, so it's, it's say, the same cast of players doing the same cast of things. And, you know, if, if Blazer's out there doing crazy stuff on behalf of, of FIFA, selling votes, I mean, why draw the line with this stuff? I, I You know, it, I, I certainly hope somebody investigates it. Okay, so a couple of things related to this. Do you think if we get different leadership at the Federation, we might just get pro rel? Because I don't think... The majority of MLS owners are escorted as pro of pro rel as maybe you think or some of the people on Twitter that we interact with think. I don't. I don't. Well, think I think you're going to force a schism in MLS by if if the, if the federation and when the federation opens the leagues and when they when they open this system, uh, there are going to be some MLS owners that are going to want to jump in and are going to be trying to find a way to you know get out of the uh, the, the crazy suits that there that the MLS single entity puts them in and and so you know I think that when that happens when we when the federation steps in and does what they need to do this thing is going to more or less resolve itself. So what about uh, the, the, the continued thought around? But, but, oh, wait, one more thing, though. If MLS wants to go their own way, I'm fine with that. Let them go. I mean, if MLS wants to continue to be a closed league, like a regular American closed league, you know, sort of play by different rules as everybody else in the soccer market, fine. Let them go. Let them let them be the NFL. They don't need no D1 sanction from anybody. Let them let them just call themselves major leagues, set up a soccer league and and, and go for it. Let them play in U.S. Open Cup if they want to get in the CONCACAF Champions League. I'm fine with all of that. That that doesn't. That that shouldn't stop us for one second. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be saying, well, what can we do? Why? How are we going to get MLS to come along? And how much do we have to compromise our values to but, get them to come along? Because we don't need to. No, no, we do, because those MLS clubs all have, uh, with the exception of probably where you are, Colorado and Chicago, <laughs> except of those two clubs, they can go away and no one will notice. But the rest of the clubs all have fans who've invested passion in those clubs. They die for the shirt. They have supporters just like any other club in the world. Um, why deprive, yeah. if you're going to open the system up, those clubs have to be part of it. They're the most best. Hopefully I think so, but that's MLS's call. They own, they own that. Well, again, right. depending on which attorney you talk to, they own it. So they're going to have to make that decision. And I hope MLS would make the right decision. And I'm sure some of the people in MLS would want to jump ship the day that was announced. But again, they've got themselves locked into uh, some kind of funny business that I don't know how they can get out of. I mean, how do you get a team out of MLS? I don't think anybody can really answer that question. Well, I think you'd have to, Fold the team. Well, I'm not a lawyer, so. But my my understanding is you might have to fold the team and create a new entity. Right. Outside. And from what I understand, Adrian Hanauer still has a, a claim on the old Sounders logo. And Correct. gosh, maybe he's thinking the same along the well, same lines we are. Guys, he's one of the guys who I'm pretty sure is not wild about the way. MLS and USSF conducts. Them. I can't imagine he is. I mean, I can't imagine that before he dies, he wants Seattle to go and do something global, and he ain't going to be able to do that in MLS. Right. Um, and then that that principle applies also, from what I understand, to the NASL, where uh, an owner can probably fold their team in the NASL and then restart a team in the USL. 
if they want right. to. And just as a point of uh, clarification for some people about some of the co-ops that have been talked about jumping leagues. Since we're hearing right. constantly about NASL teams going to USL and USL teams going to NASL, that would be legally what would have to happen. Now, Garber yesterday said he hoped FIFA would continue to indulge. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to start on that one. I mean, we're, we're, uh, clearly he's heard well, that FIFA's going to make a move, right? I know, I know where to start. Okay, so Chuck Blazer has protected um, MLS with their structure and their violations of FIFA, of, of, uh, FIFA rules. Chuck Blazer has protected NASL and Traffic Sports, who he had a, a very close relationship with. In fact, he's the guy who brought Aaron Davidson into the sport. He's the guy who pushed for NASL's D2 sanctioning. Um, and, of course, NASL got D2, and USL to drop the D3, partly because of Blazer. Um, and he's protect- and, and so the rules violations and FIFA rules with NASL also. USL is a complete uh, league. Uh, is a league that has... That doesn't follow FIFA rules in just about anything. And they haven't been nailed. So all three professional leagues, which are all which are independent of one another in the United States, all have violated FIFA rules for years now. And I I don't know about the USL laser relationship necessarily, but I know about the NASL slash traffic. That might change now. That traffic's not in the NASL picture any going forward. Um, but previously, the NASL traffic relationship with Chuck Blazer, the MLS relationship with Chuck Blazer, protected these leagues from following FIFA statutes. Is that why Garber said what he did? He now is I, I am impressed by one thing about here. I, 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 I predicted that none of this would be moving until SEP was out of the picture. I, I didn't think that they could make any moves towards taking anything or any of these MLS um, uh, entitlements away until SEP was out of the picture. I mean, the guy can't even land in a plane in the United States without being apprehended. So, you know, it's shocking that it's ha- somewhere from somewhere in FIFA, he's nervous that somebody's going to make a move right now. And it, 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 if that's true, uh, when SEP's gone and, and, and they don't get their candidate in, I mean, what's Michelle going to do? I mean, that, you know, once this thing is cleaned up, I think I think we're going to see we may see some real action. And when Garber says stuff like that, I'm 99 percent sure. Now, is this where you might have some political um, wrangling between Galati and the USSF? Galati's now in the Exco of FIFA. He took Chuck Blazer's spot, actually. Right. But he doesn't have right. the Blazer has. I mean, Blazer. Oh, that's a fun line. story, too. Yeah. Blazer took a, has a direct had a direct line to Sepp Blatter. I mean, we uh, we saw that with the TV deal that uh, MLS was able to score and NBC <laughs> lose the World Cup rights. And uh, I saw that firsthand even when I uh, worked at NASL because Traffic was our marketing agency and they had this relationship with Blazer and Blazer could go right to FIFA basically for uh, NASL's behalf and say, look, you know, these guys in USL are causing problems. Uh, well, I, I watched Dan Flynn call it nauseating and been scared him and and get him. You know, he's <laughs> he saw some stuff there, too. Apparently, that's what he was talking well, about in the hearings anyway. So there's another thing. So Flynn, I think, is a soccer guy with kind of, um, you know, administrative background. He, he's um, I get the sense that he isn't involved in some of the funny business that some of these other characters like Blazer are involved in. Now, Galati is in a position where does he protect the U.S.'s position within this 
cesspool of FIFA corruption, which he's which they've done to this point. Don't think the U.S. is like uh, England's FA or the Dutch FA that are fighting for reform when FIFA. They have never done that. I mean, right. in fact, uh, Galati came out and supported Prince Ali at the last moment, and he only did it, I think, at that point because public opinion in this country was so strong. Um, he needed to. They needed to endorse somebody besides that bladder. Yeah, right. Anybody. Right. Yeah. So my 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 question is: Is there going to be um a little bit of tension now between the MLS and um, and Galati, maybe not necessarily Garber and. Well, think about. Remember this, Galati. Whenever and I hammer Galati as much as anybody, but Sunil Galati is the only guy who has really said the words promotion relegation on more than a couple of occasions in a way that wasn't just a pass off like the way Garber says it. I mean, Sunil said it uh, last year at uh, at that Bloomberg Summit or whatever, the Bloomberg Soccer Business Summit or Sports Business Roundtable thingy that they did. He and Garber got into a little moment of Garber saying no promotion relegation and Gulati saying, well, maybe you can do it inside of MLS in some way, shape or form. And then back in the New York Times with Jack Bell, what, uh, 15 years ago, he said, you know, promotion relegation is a second half issue and we can deal with it maybe, you know, in 15, 10 years, 10, 15 years, which would put it about five years from now. So somewhere um, I think Sunil wants promotion and relegation and I think he wants it to happen. And, and I think that, you know, it's an interesting dynamic, but he, he would really have to risk. I mean, shoot, we see reporters all the time scared to even talk about this. Imagine what Sunil has to lose if he comes out for promotion relegation. They'll torch him. Bob Bob Kraft will throw him under an actual bus. There's, I, it would, so I can't even imagine. Anyway. He's going to torch anyway now because of Klinsman. Klinsman's his guy. He's brought Klinsman in. Klinsman is making some very pointed. Klinsman is his last cities. bit of independence. Yeah. His last uh, bit of independence. Well, it's, it's, I, I'll give Galati credit. He's. Uh, showing a lot of independence. I mean, because right. the, the lynch mob, which has been formed by some of my colleagues in the media, they're the leaders right. of it. They, um, they, they've wanted Klinsman out for years. I mean, they right. even hired. They wanted him out six months later. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the case with the pre with arena or with, uh, Bradley. <laughs> oh my, oh my. I mean, the Klinsman thing is just it's it, it, the man has the highest win percentage in American uh, United States men's national team history. Um, he did some remarkable things in friendlies in Europe. You know, I know this is all about, you know, what have you done for me lately? But uh, the Klinsman lynch mob is um, it sure it sure does come from the same people that uh, that want to lynch promotion relegation. Let's just say that. And when Klinsman yeah. came out in his own special way for promotion relegation last year, I think it caused one of the one of the bigger tizzies that I've ever seen from from Don and, and MLS and, and some of the guys. So um, God bless Klinsman's heart. He could he could be the biggest loser in American soccer history. And I'd still like him. So if we were to implement promotion relegation in your scheme, um, in your plan. How do you account for geographic disparity? This isn't like uh, England where it keeps can get on a coach and two pyramids answers everything. Two I mean, and I'm sorry, I'm throwing in an absolute, but pretty much two pyramids answers everything. It answers people with travel concerns, and it answers my it answers my biggest fear, which is if you open a, a soccer pyramid in the United States and stick it to twenty teams, you're looking at maybe a D one that's the I ninety five corridor, a team or two in Florida, and the West Coast. I mean you're you may have most of the United States without a D 
one soccer team. And that, that can't fly. That okay. will never fly. You got to break it up. You okay. got to break it up. Well, I'm glad you're saying that because that was one area where I thought uh, you and I were going to have a major disagreement. So walk me through this uh, uh, two pyramids scheme. Just two pyramids with, uh, I'm thinking eight, at this point, you know, probably 18 team D1s and uh, and and then regionalize lower divisions beneath them. And and I, I'm not sure that I would get be a stickler about how to form those those, those lower divisions below them in, in, in any way, shape or form. I mean, you could regionalize however far you want to regionalize as long as the meritocracy stayed intact in terms of the best teams being able to move up. But um, what it does is it, it you know, it, it, 18 team D1 enables you to have a great playoff series between East and West at the end of the year uh, for CONCACAF spots or whatever. It makes that playoff even more meaningful. I mean, it's kind of like the old baseball playoff. Plus, it's got, you know, that's the way American soccer has been done forever. I mean, you go back to the first World Cups. I mean, the first I'm sorry, first, first U.S. Open Cups. And you're talking about an East West split. I mean, it was split that way all the way up until um, in, until NASL. It was East West. And I think even in the interim period. So it's got a lot of really good selling points. It frees up a lot of space for Champions League. It means you could expand U.S. Open Cup and and do a, a home and away series, which I think is really important in the later rounds. Um, it's I think it's it answers so many questions. Yeah, for Lauderdale, we had to play in a national championship game in 1989. We won the league, which was essentially the ASL, which was essentially uh, an East Coast league, the APSL, right. which is now uh, USL, uh, part of USL, but. It was uh, we had to play a national championship game against the team from the West Coast, and that's how it was for years uh, before NASL, before 1968, and then from '85 until '95. It was basically that way because USL, even when they kind of consolidated USISL, and then which became USL, consolidated mm. the D2 and D3 leagues, they um, they regionalized the divisions. So. Mm-hmm. That makes a that makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to check that off on my checklist as one of my critiques against promotion and relegation flat out. So let's let's clarify this for people, Ted. You are not talking about um, taking the existing system, 21st division teams, or it's going to be 24 soon, which is too many, but um, in one league. So 20 no. and then 20, 20, 20. You're going to you're going to regionalize this. You're going to guarantee that there'll be teams from the Midwest, some of these travel concerns that um, I have, because uh, the one thing I can tell you, the one, the greatest takeaway I had from working in lower division soccer, from working for the NASL for three and a half years, was travel costs kill lower division teams. That's mm-hmm. flat out. That's um, a killer. And these, this fail rate, the 75% fail rate or whatever, 50%, 75% right, fail rate right. among D2 teams, is mostly due to travel costs. Yeah. So if you can mitigate that, for, especially for teams that get promoted, that's right. uh, a pretty big deal. I think you're going to find those travel concerns. I mean, once the, if the teams are, are appreciating in value by 500, 600, 1,000 percent, I think you're going to find those travel concerns are going to be a little less. But, yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from. Now, on CONCACAF and scheduling, so CONCACAF Champions League, we've seen MLS because of the roster rules – uh, squad rules. They're not. They're not very competitive. And the other issue being the calendar. So uh, it was even the same thing with uh, the teams we when we had NASL teams trying to play in and USL teams trying to play in. Uh, that the calendar got it kind of got in the way. So does this this new pyramid? Do we do we have to go to a August to May sort of uh, schedule? I would. 
I would. I mean, I think if if we get the right split in the United States in terms of I mean, we're not like Norway and Sweden. There are parts of the United States that are pretty darn nice in in January. So I think if you do the schedule right, maybe you institute a little break. I think you can do it. And, and, you know, people show up for Green Bay Packers games in ridiculous temperatures. I think I think in this system, we you'd have a pretty good shot at, at picking up a lot of fans in the winter and in, in, in some of the cities where people can handle it. I mean, you know, you live in Chicago, you're going to go outside. You, you go outside in the winter and, and you want something. You want a good reason to go outside in the winter because unlike Denver, you don't have skiing. So <laughs> you go out, you go to a game and and that's what Bears games are. They're, I think I think. I don't think it's the impediment that people want it to be. And plus there's global warming going on. So that, that should help too. <laughs> yeah. Climate change. But here's the issue. Climate change. Because of climate change, the summers are unbearable right now. So um, yeah. we have Tampa Bay Rowdies games, Orlando City games, Fort Lauderdale Strikers games, uh, Carolina Railhawks games, Atlanta Silverbacks games, constantly being delayed by weather. DC United games. Everybody in the southeast is having Houston, 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 Houston. Also. Yeah, Houston, Dallas. Because of thunderstorms, because it's too darn hot to play. Uh, it's uh, I, I, right. This is why a lot of the MLS fanboys who said, oh, soccer doesn't work in Florida. Why are they going back to Orlando? Uh, it's not going to work. I would always tell them it's because this league plays through the summer. I had the same issues in NASL with the strikers and the rowdies having trouble drawing during the summer because there was always a thunderstorm where people mm-hmm. would always have to drive through a thunderstorm to get to a game. So mm-hmm. I think with climate change, with the number of delays we've seen, and really player and fan safety issues, that we shouldn't be playing through the summer anymore. Would, would you agree with that? Any of our leagues? I think that's a great. I think it's a great point. It's it's you're talking about problems with temperature and 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 weather. You're talking about the same number of problems in in the summer as in the winter. I, I just think that I think that's that's a great point. Um, uh, and they played. You look. They played through the winter in in the in the ASL in the 1920s. They played through the winter up and through the 1950s. Uh, you know that's how it was. That's how it worked. And they didn't draw great crowds in those days, but sometimes they did. Some of those games weren't in the best conditions, and they were still on three or four or five thousand fans and let me tell you three or four or five thousand fans was actual gate counts unlike mls attendance counts these days i think some of those crowds in the 1920s were matching some of these mls crowds even though they're quoted as twice three times as big but that's neither yeah, here nor so there. maybe maybe you just have a uh, a break with uh in the winter for a month, like with this league, and you just kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's fine to do a little break in there and do you know, hopefully align it with some international breaks and 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 you know, line up with the system that way. I mean, at bare minimum, MLS should be lining up with international breaks and U.S. Open Cup as well. When U.S. Open Cup is on. Why can't we have a weekend? Why can't we have Saturdays devoted to U.S. Open Cup matches? I mean, why do we need to be scheduling these friendlies and international matches on the same days as you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's no way to straighten that out. We could start well, there. This is getting better about it, but they're not there yet. And NASL, right. um, I was disappointed, even though it benefited the strikers directly. Our first year as an independent league, when we said no to Puerto Rico, when they had about 10 guys called into national team duty. And they were having to play a playoff game against the Strikers. And, of course, they lost. And they were eliminated mm-hmm. because uh, I thought that the game probably should have been postponed. But um, our leagues aren't nimble or pragmatic enough to do this. Getting back to promotion and relegation. So why do you think the conversation has moved from, oh, it can never happen, to now we're open to it, to a lot of people, even some 
pro MLS people, the people who were obstinate to it when you started this six years ago, uh, now saying, yeah, we, we maybe we can figure this out. Well, why do you think the conversation's moved? Uh, I think there's a big community of people who are out there fighting on this every day. And I think that community has pushed this issue along. And everybody who's out there talking about it on Twitter, everybody who's out there talking about it in bars, everybody who's out there talking in the streets, I, I, th- that's how it works. I mean, I think the fan demand is there. I, without it, you wouldn't get ESPN running a poll of of MLS players on pro relevance came out 65% were for it or yesterday running another poll on fans and 85% of that poll came out for promotion relegation in that poll. When Garber was making his comments about, you know, no history, you can't do pro rel 85% chimed in and said in that poll and said they wanted it. So you're seeing that you're seeing that shift and it's because people are fighting for it. It's because people are standing up and saying something about it. Because the one thing you know about MLS, if you don't stand up and say something about it, it's guaranteed it won't happen. I mean, look what look. I mean, I don't compliment Seattle and Portland often when it comes to the fandom, but hey, they stopped MLS trademarking the Cascadia Cup and they did it by standing up and saying, forget about it. You're not doing it. This is our thing. You can't just take it over. And that's some of the spirit we're seeing in this promotion relegation debate. And that's what's pushing forward right now. Right. I wish we had some uh, of our fans here in the state of Florida who had prevented uh our teams in NASL from taking over the Coastal Cup, but that's another subject for another day. Um, <laughs> right? they, they took their inspiration. Um, Tampa Bay Rowdies and Bill Edwards took his inspiration from uh, MLS and Don Garber when he did that last month. Um, that's a subject for another time. A lot of you who know Florida know what I'm talking about and you know why I'm angry and a lot of Ralph Smob members and a lot of uh, Section 904 members, Flight 19, are furious about it. Um, Supporters Cup, this actually now becomes a team corporate run cup with a sponsor. So that's just not cool. So again, that goes back to your point. Businessmen are businessmen, whether they're in NESL or MLS. And you almost have yeah. to organically force this change. I mean, you give a you give a good businessman an opportunity to avoid competition. They're going to avoid competition. And that's what they do. And you spend enough time around Congress. I've spent enough time around Congress to know that that's what businessmen lobby for all the time. They lobby for ways to avoid the free market that's what they do that's why they're paid the big bucks these lobbyists that's 90 percent of what a business lobbyist does it's not about people think it's about regulations or it's about you know taxes no 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 no. it's about market protections you yeah. do whether it's an insurance company or a sports league it don't matter who it is that's what these lobbyists are looking for and that's mls is is, is right in the middle of that malaise right and as i mentioned our owner and nasl is right in the same kind of mindset. Uh, yep, yep, yep. And ASL, too. I don't mean to cut them out. I mean, you, again, it's it's smart money. I mean, if you can avoid competition, that's smart money. That that It's worth the investment to avoid competition. So what, would you, what would you do with NPSL and PDL clubs to bring them up to a level where they get promoted to the third division, whatever, USL or whatever? Um, that That's where I'm concerned more than anything about promotion relegation is – uh, it's not like England where teams can drop to the conference. And um, in Germany for years, they had certain kind of uh, safeguards. What what happens for those NPSL teams that get promoted to a professional league that may not be able to compete financially? 
if if they don't think they can hack it, they're welcome to pass. And I understand the, the 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 roster limitations and the college players that they've got. And some of the fans seem to be really attached to those guys and really attached to a system where there's amateur players. And that goes back, you know, a hundred years too. I mean, there's always been this divide in sports between, you know, people loving to watch amateurs over professionals and people holding it against professionals for making money for playing sports. And this is just another way this plays out. But hey, we have enough clubs so that if uh yeah. I mean, including NCAA, we're pushing a thousand clubs at this point in the United States. So relatively high functioning. So we've got enough clubs. So if you don't think your club can hack it or you don't want to be promoted and for whatever reason you still win your league, you're you're welcome to pass that on. And, you know, after that, I have no problem with stadium standards and some other stuff to to make sure that they've got the facilities to go up. I mean, but but not like U.S. soccer is doing. I mean, not like U.S. soccer did in that last minute rules rules switched. To, to make it so that Bournemouth couldn't play in MLS, or uh, I think I think somebody said a, like a half of the Spanish the La Liga couldn't play in MLS according to these rules. So Correct. you know you have to find a nice balance there where you're not killing the aspirations of these lower division teams by setting these standards at a stupid point. I want to get to that, and that's going to be one of the last points before we wrap up. I want to get to this whole stadium issue and market size issue in a minute. But first, uh, a word from our sponsor. If you're enjoying this episode of Diamonds and Cheats, it's time to give a shout out to the sponsor who made this entirely possible, Rabble.tv. If you're not familiar with Rabble, it's a complete way of new, new way of experiencing sports on TV. Concept is simple. Next time you want to watch your favorite soccer team on television, but you're so tired of the announcers because they're biased against your team and they simply aren't very good. There's a lot of those, especially the U.S. Press the mute <laughs> button, then head over to Rabble.tv and listen to a real fan's audio broadcast of the game. And if there isn't one available, you can create your own broadcast by switching on your mic and calling the match. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Um, Rabble has an iOS app. You can uh, do this through your mobile browser. And I can tell you, last week, last Saturday in St. Petersburg, Ken Mendoka and I did a broadcast live from the stadium right at Al Lang calling the Rowdies and the Cosmos. It was brilliant. Uh, at least we thought it was brilliant. Maybe the people listening didn't think it was so brilliant. I, I think people <laughs> thought we were very biased towards the Rowdies, but that's what we're against. Um, so you can join in the conversation also, like a lot of you have done today on this show, by posting your questions and observations in the comments section. So take a moment to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible by heading on over to Ravel.tv, where it's your team and your call. And Ted, Getting back to this whole standard. So if you had D1, D2, D3 in two, let's say, separate tournaments, what would you do with these published standards that the USSF has for these divisions? Because they made what they did was they made D2 standards in 2010 in order to, and I again, I think this some, there's some hanky-panky with this, Although I have to admit, in interest of full disclosure, I benefited at the time because I worked for the NASL. There was some um, raising of standards so USL couldn't apply for D2 and NASL got it. Now, five years later, NASL is aspirational. They want to be D1. So there's some changing of standards so that they have they can't apply for D1 and MLS <laughs> continues to keep it. So uh, what would you do with these standards? Would you keep them in place? Would you use them as guidelines? Rough guidelines? They're gonna they're gonna have to be flexible. I, you know, you can't like I said, you can't you you're gonna have to review them almost every year. You can't set them so high that 
a team needs to bankrupt itself to build a stadium, but you can't set it so low that a team can spend all their money on players and say, we don't need a stadium at all. We can just play in a field and bring in some temporary stands and spend all our money on players. So, you know, you just got to find that balance and, and you got to do it in such a way that it doesn't kill investment in interest in lower divisions because, as usual. Uh, in lower divisions, if you sell, they were letting teams do that. Modular stadiums and stands. So, our owners and traffic, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure Chuck Blazer may have had some role in this, but went to Sunil and said, you know, these guys can't be D2, so set standards. Next thing you know, there's like this very strong soccer-specific stadium, 5,000-seat standard, which meant USL couldn't apply. <laughs> Their teams were never going to meet those standards. And mm. then also there was a net worth requirement, which kind of fit the NASL owners other than Tampa Bay, and we had to... Uh, get some more investors there, but right, um, right. where we, we could apply for D2 and USL couldn't. I see the same thing now. NASL was a beneficiary, full disclosure. Now they're getting screwed by that, where the standards are being shifted uh, in order to dissuade a D1 bid. But I think there have to be standards, particularly on the stadiums. So what would you do with amateur teams? Should there be... so? You've already said if teams don't want to go up, they don't want to be promoted, they don't have to be. So for teams that are, let's say, NPSL or PDL currently and whatever the, the, the division is in your pyramid, and they're aspirational, should there be some sort of guideline or standards? Your stadium has to look like this. You have to be prepared to do this if you get promoted. Your team budget has to be like this. You have to have a staff, you know, a full-time trainer, full-time um, team manager, full-time uh, public relations person, those sorts of things. So you, do you want to see those sorts of standards? Because that's I would. I want to limit micromanagement to, uh, I, you know, the bureaucracy and the micromanagement, I think is a bad thing in this case. I think at this point, I think we want to open it up and drive that investment to the lower divisions. And I wouldn't, I would not go overboard on any of these standards until, until we had a pretty good idea of, you know, is there an example of where it's not working and, and we need to tighten standards? OK, then let's do that. But I really think you're going to find that teams um, when they're when they're given this value and this investment and when fans are given this reason to support and, and incentivized to come to games. And I think you're going to see such a radical change in finance between in American soccer that a lot of even this conversation is probably going to sound pretty dated once that occurs. I mean, you're just going to see I. I if I didn't, I mean, I so really believe you're going to see so having, much uh, money that it's going to change everything. So, but, uh, so a team could get away without having a full-time team trainer because you don't want life management. I think you would be an idiot if you were trying to get into the upper divisions without a trainer. I mean, what do you? What do you? I mean, I, I don't know. Let that also. Hey, this also dovetails really nice in another one of my issues is that. Uh, Australia right now has a, a a professional soccer players union that goes beyond one league and they're utilizing that power yeah. for the women and some of the other stuff in, in that in that in Australia to 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 make some noise and to make some points. And, and the Australian women team isn't coming over here to do the, the tour, the winning, the huge, you know, crazy hullabaloo tour of the American winning tour, whatever it's called, because they're standing with the professional union over there. And I wish we could have a professional union over here that could address just these questions. That's more than just one league. And I don't understand why U.S. sports 
unions have to be from one league or one gender. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why can't we have a big union for all players? Why can't we do that? I mean, why can't it be like the Screen Actors Guild? Uh, it makes perfect sense. It has more bargaining power. It can address a lot of these issues that we're talking about right now. And they can stand up for players in a way that's, that I think we've seen that the MLS Players Union might not be able to stand up for. Yeah, um, I think and, and we're going to wrap up here in a minute. I think that that's one of the key issues going forward. I know a lot of MLS players weren't happy with that CBA. They're not happy with their representation, but at least they have representation. The guys in NASL right. have no representation. Guys right. in NASL have no representation. Right. At least they have a union that kind of took it to the brink. Uh, and I will remind folks that seven of the union reps of the 20 did vote against that agreement. There were seven that were ready to go on strike, including right. both New York teams. So right. um, they did take it to the break. So soccer reform, um, you, you've got this uh, great following. Is it possible, you know, you made ProRail kind of the, the, the focal point of this, but now that we've had this discussion, we've got issues of wage depreciation among players. We have mismanagement in all three leagues. We have U.S. soccer just – uh, without transparency, not uh, applying proper oversight in the game. We have solidarity payment issues. And this is at a time when the sport is more popular than it's ever been in this country, when the sport is quite frankly among younger people, people younger than you and me, Ted, the second most popular team sport in the country behind American yep. football. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Do, do you hey, if anybody wants to post anything on my website – about on my blog about about those issues i welcome that and i'll post anything on those issues and i'll i'll go i i will be i will be as much help as possible on all those issues because all the ones you're mentioning i agree with 100 percent. but you know i i'm i'm focused on this promotion relegation issue and i'm i want to stay that way because i think we're uh making some serious progress and i think I think we're about to change some things here, and I know we've changed a lot of minds, despite people calling us mean and we're not good, we're not good uh, negotiators or we're not good messengers for this thing. I mean, everybody is out there is fighting like mad to do this. It has made a difference, so I'm happy to share that and and put up anything anybody wants on these solidarity payments because it's a it's an important issue. It's just as important, and there's uh, you know 10, 20 other issues that are that are that are equally as important as that, and I'm happy to. I'm happy to cheerlead for whatever one it needs to be, and I'm happy to host that message anywhere I can. So where can people find you on Twitter and on the web? It's uh, at Soccer Reform and uh, www.soccerreform.us. Oh, and uh, I just put up a Facebook page, which is for Soccer Reform, which is uh, Facebook slash Soccer Reform. And that's I, I think that's going to be a fun tool because it can kind of be and if you follow me on Twitter, things can get I can get a little prolific and, and nutty. So it, this sort of narrows it down on, the, on that Facebook stream and you can go in and see sort of the highlights of, of some of the some of the more interesting things that have been happening because there's I mean, there's news on this stuff every day at this point and and it's important to be able to you know to not only to chime in but to have a place where you can go and 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 check in and and be that and i'm i'm hoping that 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 facebook page and the twitter page and the website can all sort of be that resource for people that that's been my hope from the start and i hope it's i hope it's getting there we're gonna have you back ted and next time we might talk a little bit about this but i want to talk about the asl and the history in this sport in this country and kind of uh contrast that with some some what's happened uh, in other countries so uh, oh, yeah. our historian of the game too i neglected to mention that 
at the outset of this. But uh, we're going to have you back. Uh, thank you so much, Ted, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening and interacting. Sorry for the technical staff who I think a lot of you might end up podcasting this because of that. So you can always find us on demand at Ravel.tv, either World Soccer Talk stream. You can find us in that same stream where you find uh, World Soccer Talk Radio and, and the World Soccer Talk podcast. There's Soccer Morning, some other product, the fantasy football or fantasy soccer. <laughs> Guess it's fantasy football in my mind, but fantasy Way to go. Some of y'all who are watching uh, that throwball stuff um, in, in our podcast stream. And uh, until next time, I want to thank Ted Westerville for joining us and enjoy your football. Thanks, Carter.